Well, welcome to a special edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and um, I'm glad that you tuned in today. Because today what we're going to do for the next 60 minutes is something that's a little out of the ordinary from what we typically do on The Bottom Line program. But it's going to be interesting to take a look back and see where we were on this date in 1983. Because where I was on this date in 1983 was actually beginning my radio career. That's right. It was 40 years ago today that this young guy put on headphones for the first time, clicked open the microphone, and uh, started a career. And I had no idea where I was going to go with it, but I just knew that God had told me from an early age this is what I had a passion to do. And I, 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 it was never a word from God that said, you're supposed to do this. I just really felt very strongly about it. And so I thought we'd take the next hour and kind of wander through some of the highs and lows of the last 40 years of life. It's not just going to be about me reminiscing, but just to kind of take a glimpse at where we've been, where we are, and where the next 30 to 40 years might take us. It was back in actually the summer of 1982. I had always been a big radio fan and uh, my parents uh, had good respectable jobs as teachers and my sister had gotten uh, her, her credential and was doing preschool teaching and my brother was headed for seminary eventually he was younger than me but I always had the urge just to, I mean I loved listening to the radio I, I realized when I was a kid radio was my favorite source of entertainment it was kind of almost my best friend and I grew up in a home where everybody listened to the radio I know you get a lot of uh, questions if you call the bottom line show we ask you questions about where you listen and what you like to listen to and there's been a lot of talk about uh, whether or not am radio would survive in the digital age uh, if you can remember back to 1983 every car that you purchased in america came with an am fm radio standard well at least an am radio standard uh, i know my sister's 1978 toyota corolla had an am radio standard uh, we paid extra and i got an am fm um, no am fm stereo with a an eight-track tape deck in it i don't know why i thought that would be cool my dad said you want a track i said sure a cassette would have made a lot more sense back then but i digress radio has just always been a part of my life i know it's been a part of the lives of a lot of people in fact as much as we make about the digital technology that we have available to us in the world right now it was really the am transistor radio with uh, the technology that gave you the opportunity it wasn't solid state yet initially but tube radios in cars where you turned on the power and let the tube warm up or tubes warm up and then you could get a nice am frequency and then the transistor radio which made the radio portable that's what kind of got me hooked on the radio was listening to sports on am radio and top 40 music and growing up in la top 40 music was all over the place it was great i mean for someone like me with a lot of different musical tastes but then as I got older, I began to hear Christian music on the radio. I began to hear Christian teaching on the radio. And it really drew me in to where I just felt a compulsion to know how it works. And from the first time I got headphones on at age three or watched a sporting event on television at age six, I used to fall asleep with my Panasonic transistor radio, which ironically was about the same size as my current smartphone. It wasn't quite as, uh, it was a lot bulkier but it was the same, you know, kind of fit in your hand and put a little earpiece in. And my parents didn't care if I fell asleep listening to Dick Enberg and Don Wells doing Angels baseball or Vin Scully and Jerry Doggett on KFI doing Dodger baseball, um, Chick Hearn doing the Lakers, Tom Kelly doing SC football. Well, we would never fall asleep to that. Those were all Saturday afternoon games, but uh, uh, the SC games during the week and then Dick Enberg again doing UCLA uh, televised sports at Arnold, all these people. And I just thought it would be really cool to give it a shot. And I prayed about it a lot when I was younger. I just, that's, that was the only thought I had. I, if you talk to the guys who I was friends with in high school, we all ran cross country and track together. And it was my first year of college when I was going to Golden West here in Southern California. And I had a couple of friends who were at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And we were sitting up one night, it was a Saturday night, went to go visit these guys. And a friend of mine who was going to, eventually going to law school, um, he asked me, he said, whatever happened to radio? I said, what do you mean radio? He goes, that's all you ever talked about when we were kids. Middle school, high school, that's all you ever talked about. Aren't you going to do anything with that desire? And I went, wow, I wonder if I should. And that's one of those places where as Christians, I think and this is a kind of a lesson, life lesson for each of us. God, you know, we, we talk about delighting yourself in the Lord and God will grant you the desires of your heart. 
First and foremost, that's Psalm 37, 4. First and foremost, what that means, of course, is that if you delight yourself in the Lord, God will grant you the desire of your heart, which is to delight in him. So you're by default, it's not a trick question, but there is a certain circular nature to that wisdom that says, if you as a Christian delight yourself in the Lord, then he will grant you the desire of your heart, which is to keep on delighting in the Lord. It really does help a lot. I mean, you could tell a lot about where your faith journey is based on the things that you desire, the things that you aspire to. Um, I've, I've learned that over the past 40 years in this business. And uh, knowing too that nothing is very certain, I have parents who are part of the greatest generation. They were both born in 1933. Both my mom and dad turned 90 this year. And I, when I think about them, and especially my dad, I, I, I kind of got conflicting messages from my parents. Should I even pursue this? I had gone to college. I made honor roll every, I'd gone to high school, made honor roll every semester there. Uh, didn't aspire to like advanced placement or I didn't take the SAT, no, I did take the SAT and the ACT. I had good enough grades to go to state university and I was fine with that. But by the time I turned 18 and it was time for college, I had to choose what am I gonna do with my career? And I loved music, I loved radio, but I thought, well, I'll just, I wanna be a math teacher. I want to be an accountant. I'll do something with numbers because I like that. And there'll, there will be work. It was really the path of least resistance. And God just really got a hold of me during those first couple of years of college. They weren't easy. Uh, my grades weren't spectacular. I did make the Dean's list, list once, but I just got knocked around. I was working a bunch of jobs and I just didn't have a whole lot of focus until the summer of 1982 when I heard an ad on the radio for a local school here in town. It, it became the Academy of Radio Broadcasting. And uh, I went to one of their auditions. It was really expensive. I mean, back at the time when minimum wage was three fifty an hour, it was like eighteen hundred bucks to go to the school. I could go to community college for free, just buy my books, or I could go to Cal State Fullerton for two hundred dollars a semester. So why would I invest this kind of money? I had some money saved up, and um, I borrowed the rest from my grandmother, and I went to school. I spent. 12 weeks, 13 weeks learning how to mix records and all that stuff. And then I just laid it before the Lord. And I said, Lord, if I don't have a job in 13 weeks, I'm going to take that as a sign from you that I'm not supposed to do this. And in June of 1983, one of the first stations that I had ever applied to, KIQO and Atascadero called. Now, here's what's interesting about that is when I applied, they weren't looking for anybody. I sent out maybe seven or eight audition tapes. And they were one of the first ones because Atascadero was first in the ranking of stations in California. And I thought, could I get a weekend job someplace and just drive there and live here? No, I'm going to have to live there. And they didn't call me. So then a friend of mine one night called me after he was at school at Cal Poly. He goes, hey, there's a station up here and they're, they're uh, looking for anybody with radio experience. You should send them a tape. And my first thought was, no, I already sent them a tape and they didn't answer. So to act with them. And that's when I learned my first lesson of life in adulthood, which is if they're not looking, it doesn't matter how great your application is. They're not going to move somebody out of the way to make room for you. But if they are looking, and this is with any job, then they're going to be highly motivated and you have a much better chance of getting heard. So I sent my materials in and the next day, the program director called me, can you come up here for an interview? And so the first big serious radio interview I had was on my mother's 50th birthday. And so I now I had to go explain to my parents why I would not be able to go to my mom's 50th birthday. It was a weeknight. She was a school teacher. They had choir rehearsal. It was, they were going to do something else on the weekend, but they were fine. And so I drove to San Luis. I had the interview with them. It looked very favorable. I stopped off at Bob's Big Boy. Now, this is back in the day. I drove four hours to San Luis Obispo. I had a job interview, and then I drove home the same day. I mean, boy, ah, youth, right? I was very diligent to pray and you know follow up, and we had a, a an issue family-wise that I was going to have to miss something if they, if I started the, when they wanted me to start. And my dad gave me his blessing and said, "Look, I know this is important to you. If you need to bow out of the family thing, you can bow out. We're, we'll be okay." And that day, the station called and said, "Hey, do your family thing. Start after that." So on July the sixth, nineteen eighty-three, I packed up my Toyota Corolla hatchback and uh, 1978 model, by the way, five speed, really cool wheels, raised white letter tires, but it only had an 1800 four cylinder engine and it didn't go very fast. Anyway, uh, that was going to be my best friend for the next nine months because I would be driving back and forth to San Luis Obispo just about every week and driving, if you know the area in Central California, 
driving from uh, San Luis Obispo by the university up over the Cuesta grade into Atascadero six nights a week for $3.50 an hour. <laughs> Spinning tunes in the middle of the night and basically getting calls from truckers. And there are two main industries in Atascadero. One of them is the men's colony, which is a fancy way of saying prison. And the other is the mental hospital. So uh, we did hear from a few people there as well, and some of the locals. I'll never know if anybody was listening to what I was doing from midnight to six, Monday through Saturday morning. But uh, my first shift, actually, when I opened the microphone, was at midnight on July the 7th. But because I signed the transmitter log as the guy who was on the board, I signed that on at 11 p.m. on uh, Wednesday, June the 6th, 1983. I always celebrate June the 6th as my anniversary in broadcasting. So today marks 40 years in the business. And I'm very pleased to say that there was a period of about three weeks in that 40 years where I've not been gainfully employed, at least part-time, in the broadcasting world. And it's been an incredible ride, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. Well, of some of the parts I haven't enjoyed as much as other parts. On the other side of this break, we want to take a trip down memory lane with me. Let's take a look at 1983 and see what it looked like. What was happening in the culture right now? How much have times changed over the last 40 years? We'll take a look at that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, a special edition of the broadcast today, as today uh, is not my birthday. It's not my parents' anniversary. It's not, it, it's not even the, the anniversary of the start of the Bottom Line Show. That comes up on September 19th when we turn 12 and we leave the, you know, uh, elementary school years and we're one year away from puberty with this show. But on July the 6th, 1983, I signed on the transmitter log as the operator on air at KIQO in Atascadero, Q104 FM, and started my broadcasting career. Today marks 40 years in the business for me. And I'm pleased to uh, report that between radio DJing, as it were, and voiceover work, sales in the industry, management, um, some behind the camera work in television, some in front of the camera. Um, There was a period, I mean, there has not ever been a period in my life where I have not had some broadcast entity paying me to do broadcasting. From the time I began, there was a three-week period when my first job ended and I got horribly sick and I didn't have a second job lined up. I just, my body let down. I've been running so hard, uh, six, seven days a week, 12, 14, 15 hour days. Even as a young guy, I had just gotten over mononucleosis and I was not in really great physical shape to do that kind of stuff. Once my job in San Luis Obispo ended, I came home and I spent a week resting. Then I spent a week looking for work. And the next week I found a job at uh, KQLH, which is now KFROG in the Inland Empire. Uh, you may not know that if you're a Southern California radio person, but uh, KFRG 95.1 uh, used to belong to an organization called World Scope Ministries. And I was fortunate enough to get the position there first as a fill-in guy, then as the weekend uh, 6 p.m. Saturday and Sunday night guy. We played beautiful music. I'm 24 years old. Like how my friends were playing rock and roll stuff on the radio with long hair. And I'm saying, loving and gentle KQLH. You know, that's that's how you know you really want to be in the business, right? But uh, the organization, World Scope Ministries, owned it. And at one point, it had been a, um, a Christian teaching and talk station, which was kind of ahead of its time because the real Christian teaching and talk stations, I mean, there have been some going back to the 50s and 60s. 
but um, it was in the early 1980s that a guy named Pat Michaels turned that station into um, beautiful music with vocals, as he called it. This is before Coast 103 showed up. There was a station in the Inland Empire, KDUO, that played beautiful music. And the Inland Empire was mostly retired people at that point, so KDUO was the top dog. Now it's a Spanish-language station. But World Scout Ministries and Bill Roberts at Montrose, California, uh, by the time I got there, basically what you had was some inspirational songs usually it was perry como singing i believe or something like that and then you had at 5 a.m monday through friday from 5 to 5 30 dr j vernon mcgee and through the bible and so my job at uh after doing the weekend shift for a season was i became the overnight guy and i did midnight to five on the air as the dj and then from 5 to 5 30 i was the port operator and i played the cassette analog cassette of through the bible before the morning guy got there. And it was great. The morning guy, Danny Gilchrist, also a Christian, uh, lived in San Bernardino for years, has worked in Christian broadcasting, I believe, for Salem uh, after we left that situation. But I worked at KQLH for a couple of years. And that was one of those, do you really want this? A lot of prayer on the way out. I lived in Orange and worked in San Bernardino six nights a week. I had that very long drive. And uh, that's when I really had to get real and say, God, what's it going to be? And I was uh, working at a CPA firm during the day, I was studying accounting at Cal State Fullerton. And one night I was driving to work. I was singing along with the radio and I saw a guy with a truck and he had a bumper sticker on the back of his truck and it said, the best or the worst day fishing is better than the best day working. And I thought to myself, that's what God said, you know, for you, the worst job in the broadcasting world is going to be better than anything else for you right now. And it's something, it's a principal Chuck Swindoll of uh, the Insight for Living Ministry uh, preaches all the time to young pastors. When a pastor approaches him and says, hey, I'm thinking about going into full-time ministry, Chuck will make him make a list of everything else you could possibly do in life other than ministry. And he said, and if you write one other thing other than ministry, I always tell that student, go do that. Because ministry has to be a, such a singular passion that you have to be in a position where you say, it's this or nothing else. And that was the moment for me, driving out the 91 freeway on the way to the Inland Center Mall, where I realized this is it, this is the calling, this is where God wants me to be. And it's amazing how within a couple of weeks, a door opened up at the largest contemporary Christian music station in the country, KYMS, uh, 106.3 in uh, license to Santa Ana, but actually the studios were over by uh, Angel Stadium. And it turned out that Paul J. Toberty was the owner of the company and uh, Paul's son, David, uh, and I had gone to high school together. I had no idea his dad owned a radio station. Dave and I ran cross country and track together. And it turned out that their CFO went to my church. And so I was talking to him one day. His name was Clay Tillotson. Everyone called him Tilly. I said, Tilly, how do I get in with the Tobertys? They said, well, the next time the church does some kind of promotional thing, you do the commercial and then just go give it to David. And so I did. And uh, they liked my stuff and they offered me a weekend position. And the next seven years I spent working there uh, playing contemporary Christian music. And I got into sales. I management. I called that my first grad school experience. It was a lot of fun. It, it really was a lot of fun to do. But that was 1983 when I started. By the time it was 85, I got to KYMS. Let's take a look, if you would, with me at some of the fun facts of 1983. What was happening? Ronald Reagan, of course, was president and he signed the Strategic Defense Initiative. Okay. Uh, Hurricane Alicia wiped out the Texas coast. Uh, and, and this is something else that we can look at right now and say, well, it hasn't happened here, but unemployment in the United States was its highest level since World War II. Remember, we were on double-digit inflation, and I can recall in the late 1980s, if you were a college student, one of the, it wasn't a scam, but it was just good business practice, was that college students could take out a guaranteed student loan, and the student loan had a payback rate of 9%. That's how much you'd have to pay back. Well, the prime lending rate was 15%. Mortgages were going, remember, for like 18%. So a lot of college students I know would take out guaranteed student loans. Cal State Fullerton was very inexpensive. You could borrow $2,500 once from the federal government, and that would be enough to pay for four years of college. But what these students would do is they would take the money and invest it in a treasury bill, make 15% on the money, not have to pay it back until after they graduated, and then have a nice little return when it was done. I didn't do that. 
1983. What are we paying for gas now? Three, four, five dollars a gallon in California. Well, the median household income in the United States in 1983 was $20,000. That 20 grand. The median household income in the United States in 2023 is, well, (laughs) for a home with, uh, it depends on what state you're in. The median household income in California for a family of four is $122,707. But it's interesting because the median household income for the nation was $20,000 in 1983. By 2023, it's 34987 which means wages have been on a steady decline because when you adjust for inflation, that 20000 should be a lot more. By the way, it is interesting. Um, to know that all the research I'm doing for the show today and every day I do on a computer, I have more access to information right now in my phone than I ever had in 1983 when I was in college or when I first started in radio. Matter of fact, I remember being the overnight DJ at a music station and sometimes on my way home, I would get off at six in the morning and I'd, I'd stop off at a convenience store and I'd get myself a little packet of donuts and maybe an orange juice or something like that. And I would find every periodical I could And I would stand at the magazine rack and read them and memorize them. Because I didn't have that kind of money. It was 50 cents for a copy of this and 50 for a copy of that. I couldn't blow a day's wages just buying those magazines. So I would, I'd go to the supermarket. I'd do my grocery shopping. I'd get half my grocery shopping done, which wasn't a lot. I'd I'd put it in a big basket. Then I'd go to the news rack and I'd read the newspapers and read the magazines. Everywhere I went, I was such a scavenger that way. But, you know, I mean, that's where the world was back then. That's how you made a 350 an hour job last. Hey, let's take a quick break. And when we continue, we're talking about three of the major products that uh, were introduced in 1983 that I don't think many of us could even really live without these days. Uh, That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to this 40th anniversary edition of my broadcast career, not just the bottom line, but yours truly. It was on July the 6th, 1983, that I first opened a microphone uh, for a commercial radio station. And uh, with the exception of three weeks in between my first radio job and my second job, I've been fortunate enough, and I mean that sincerely, to be on someone's payroll in broadcasting, either doing voiceover for television or uh, radio broadcasting. As a matter of fact, uh, the work, the freelance work was great. So when Rich Bueller, uh, unfortunately, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer back in the summer of 2010, I was able to come in like all of us did. I don't know if you realize this, but everybody who filled in for Rich back then volunteered their time. We just showed up and rallied around Rich so Rich could still draw a salary and and, uh, and and get the healing he was looking for. So it was an honor and a privilege to basically the first year that I was filling in on Talk From The Heart that eventually became the Bottom Line Show. Uh, that was a labor of love. And it was just, it was the right thing to do. Uh, but 1983 was an interesting year. A gallon of gas was $1.24. Median household income was $20,000 a year. A gallon of mel- milk, two twenty-four. Ground beef, a dollar a pound. Here's the big one. First class stamp, 20 cents, and a movie ticket was $2.25. Now, when you adjust that for inflation, we may bellyache about a $15 ticket at the movie theater, but I think adjusted for inflation, it's going to be okay. What new products hit the shelves? In 1983, Hidden Valley introduced something that did not have to be refrigerated. It was a non-refrigeratable ranch dressing. And America went nuts for ranch. Uh, Cool Ranch Doritos showed up, Buttermilk Ranch, Snyder's Pretzels, ranch-infused mashed potatoes. It was ranch, 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 ranch. Also, uh, Jell-O introduced sugar-free Jell-O brand gelatin in 1983. And the first time we ever heard about Dijon mustard, 1983. Uh, By the way, The inimitable Mario and Luigi began their video game dynasty in 1983 as well. The Mario Brothers arcade game was released in Japan. And 1983 was also a a spectacular year at the movies because episode six of the Star Wars saga, remember Return of the Jedi, it only brought in about $250 million in the U.S. alone. (laughs) Remember the other big movies of 1983? 
Tootsie with Dustin Hoffman. Boy, wouldn't that be an interesting movie to look at now with the LGBT drag world. Uh, Flashdance with Jennifer Beals, which was pretty racy at the time, but now seems very tame. And Trading Places with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy. And boy, I'll tell you, but for a few pieces of dialogue and a couple of scenes, it is a spot-on picture-perfect comedy that doesn't need the things that got it an R rating to be a good movie. Um, it's very interesting to see how life has changed over the past 40 years. And I can tell you stories about me. As a matter of fact, I think I will. On the other side of this break, I'll share a couple of personal anecdotes about what God has shown me about life and faith during the last 40 years of being in the position of sharing those insights with you. And also, please know, I mean, for those of you, especially who are first half hour listeners, how much I truly appreciate your prayers and your support, how you support our advertisers and the great interaction that we have here on this program each and every day. 40 years ago today, I cracked open a microphone and hoped that I would make enough money to pay back my grandmother for broadcasting school. Uh, mission accomplished. <laughs> More of this reflective and retrospective bottom line edition coming up next as the bottom line continues. You've been in an accident, and the worst thing you can do is to wait to contact Stephanie at Cover Law. Stephanie frequently talks to people who waited too long to seek help with their cases or tried to handle them on their own, and by then, it's too late. Family and friends mean well, but they can give truly bad advice. Often, even trusted advisors will try and convince you to wait for more compensation. Stephanie knows the insurance companies want you to wait. They don't want you to file police reports, and they don't want you to reach out to Stephanie at Cover Law. That's because Stephanie is keenly aware of the tactics they use and why. She spent 20 years litigating for insurance companies and knows the strategy they will use to minimize their liability and your awarded amount. Insurance companies are for profit. They don't share Stephanie's Christian values, and typically they won't be fair to you. Don't deny yourself the ability to get better. Go with a proven expert in the field of personal injury and contact Cover Law at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R today. Well, welcome to a very special edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, of course, at the half hour break. Uh, the Bottom Line Show comes your way as a 90-minute program uh, each and every weekday on our main affiliates, uh, KBRT in Southern California, KNSN in San Diego, uh, KLDC in Denver, Colorado. And we broadcast in a lot of different cities using those frequencies. And then from 3.30 to 4, Monday through Friday Pacific time, we are live on KCBC in Central California, which covers uh, 50,000 watts up to Sacramento, the state capital and beyond. And then we have two additional releases on KCBC. They get the full 90 minutes, but it comes in three doses, the half hour live that you're listening to right now. And then 7 p.m. every weeknight, it's Bottom Line Show Extra, uh, which is another half hour of what we heard on the Bottom Line Show. And then the following day, it's the Bottom Line Rewind, which happens every weekday morning at 10.30 on KCBC. Uh, KLTT, our sister station in Denver, also picks up a half hour of... Uh, the bottom line show from 2.30 to 3 Mountain Time on AM 670, which covers the entire state of Colorado and gets into Wyoming as well. It's kind of a trip when you consider that when I got the radio bug during my junior year of college, I was the accounting major. I wasn't a very good one. I did make the dean's list once in my undergrad years, but or lower division years, but the accounting 300 and 400 level classes were just kicking my kneecaps. And I realized I could do that kind of stuff. And God was gracious enough to put me in ministry situations where I was able to use all of that for his glory. So it wasn't a waste of time. But when the opportunity came to be a full-time DJ at KYMS in Santa Ana in the uh, uh, spring, well, winter spring of 1986, I jumped at the chance after three years on the air and never really looked back. I had a chance to, uh, uh, for those of you who remember, in Southern California, 106.3 FM. Uh, KYMS was one of the first stations in America to play contemporary Christian music and have it commercially supported. Most Christian music stations were maybe a music show on a station that carried long-form teaching programs. Now, K-Bright here in Southern California, KCBC, those are long-form teaching program stations. KYMS was kind of like top 40 of Christian music, and then we would stop for a commercial break, break, play three or four commercials, then come back in with the music, just like everyone else. We did have one teaching hour uh, every weeknight, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. 
Uh, my now uh, boss, Dr. James Dobson, with Focus on the Family at 7 to 7.30, and then Chuck Swindoll, Insight for Living, 7.30 to 8. And my first full-time gig there was I was the nighttime jock, so I was on from 7 to midnight. First hour, I got, I got paid to listen to these teaching programs, which was incredible. And then from 8 to midnight, play the tunes. And then I got promoted to the afternoon position and then the morning position, and I was program director. I mean, over seven years, I got to learn and do just about every job in the building. And it was a wonderful experience. And by 1992, I thought, well, this is it. I'm done. Um, they're going to let me go, and I'm not quite sure what to do. I was teaching at the Academy of Radio Broadcasting where I'd gotten my start. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just teach here for a little bit, and it's time to go back to school, get a teaching credential, and just get a real job. And a funny thing happened along the way to that. Uh, God orchestrated the path for me to meet a guy who was a good friend for a while. And this is how God works in very small spaces. And he's done this for me and he's done this for my kids. And I just, I, I wanna share this story with you. Um, some of you may know that for the uh, past 30 years now, I've had the privilege of being a staff announcer for a television network. And you know, that's something you don't just find. I mean, I, I know guys who spent years trying to make it as voiceover talent and, you know, get into that kind of world doing commercials and things of that nature. But in the fall of 1991, my boss at the time had been relieved of his duties. Our station was going through a bit of a slim down and I was the program director. And so they promoted me to general manager. It was way in over my head, 30 years old, didn't know what I was doing, but I would work for half of this guy's wage. So I was there to just basically hold us through the, uh, remember George W. Bush and the, no, uh, the George H. W. Bush and the read my lips speech, no new taxes. It was the worst economy we had seen in I don't know how many years. And uh, we felt the brunt of it on my watch we had to write off a ton of bad business and it was just it was hard to watch these companies you know go under and see people who are working for commission and sales uh not get paid some months and some months actually even owe the station money because someone had paid them with a check that didn't clear and they had already been paid the commission so they had to pay it back and watching guys i was working with go out and get second jobs so they could pursue their radio career it was a really tough and strange time but what's interesting about what was happening then and there is the, the, the idea that once that ended up, the spring of 1992, one day I got a phone call from a guy by the name of Tom Allen. And Tom was a listener to the station. He had won some music. He won a CD, which was brand new at the time, or a cassette. And he'd come by and gotten to know my predecessor, Dave Armstrong. And so he called looking for Dave. They put the, th the call through to my office, which was huge. I felt really intimidated in that office. And we started talking and it turned, come to find out we had some things in common. Tom was in his mid thirties and uh, he had ascended to the ranks of chief financial officer for 20th Century Fox. But Tom also went to a Baptist church that happened to be within walking distance of my home at the time. And Tom and his wife were in a Bible study with a couple by the name of Greg and Barry Brown. And Greg and Barry taught elementary school at the same school my mom did. They were all in a Bible study together. And so that is how you break into television. Uh, it really is. I was supposed to have lunch with Tom one day and my job at KYMS ended. I called, his assistant called me the day before and said, sorry, I mean, literally hours before I got fired and said, sorry, Tom has to reschedule. I said, no worries, let's do it some other time. I called him back the next day and said, I got all the time you want. So then Tom called me back from his car. Now this is September, October, 1992. And he's got one of those briefcase phones in his car. And he's calling me and I'm thinking, what in the science fiction fantasy is this? But I went up to the Fox lot, I hung out with him. Uh, we had some, a great time of fellowship. And then he asked me if I'd be interested in doing a read for some of the different departments, the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, they call them disaster announcements and network feeds. You know, somebody has to voice that stuff. And they also had a couple things on air. And uh, next thing you know, I was getting a call from the director of commercial operations saying, hey, we're gonna use a couple of your billboards this week if that's okay with you. And I said, yeah. And she said, would you like to come back next week and do it some more? And I said, absolutely. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, actually I was doing an ad for, uh, what's it, uh, the Gordon Ramsay show that's on the Fox network. I do maybe a half dozen of these every year. But at one point I was going up twice a week for all 52 weeks of the year. It was incredible, 100 sessions plus. Doing the brought to you by stuff on the Fox network. 
And it's just amazing to see how it was wonderful from a ministry standpoint to go into a place where you were the alternative lifestyle. You know, 1992, 93, there were a couple of Christians that worked there, but the vast majority of people were into atheism or the environment, or there were a lot of people in the LGBTQ world who looked very oddly at, at Christians. As a matter of fact, you know, there are times when people talk about the welcoming, quote unquote, aspect of the LGBTQ community. I can remember being in a session where there was a producer, an engineer, and a copywriter who were all gay and all very much against Christianity. And I'm there reading copy. And one of them knows that I'm a Christian. And so they're, uh, they were teasing a little bit, hazing a little bit, but I thought, man, this could get really ugly for somebody who really tried to take a bold stand for their faith. And it taught me a lot about you know, what's that Kenny Rogers line, when to hold them and when to fold them. When's the right time to, you know, be that person. But I'll tell you what, it was amazing. In the 20 years that I drove onto the lot, and then I started doing it remotely after that, um, I was pleasantly surprised as people would come and go from the network, how many people would reach out to me and say, hey, guess what? I'm a Christian now, and I really love working with you, and it was so great. And, you know, you never know when God's sowing a seed through your life when it comes, whether it's this world of broadcasting or wherever you are. And I just wanted to share that with you as an encouragement because I'm blessed to have been able to do it and to still be able to do it, but to more than anything else, know that every opportunity that I've been given in the broadcasting world, I've done my level best to make sure that my light is so shining that other people would see God's good work that he's doing in me. And that's my encouragement to you today. Uh, today, I'm looking back on 40 years of the broadcast industry. And coming up next, I'm going to get into a time of life where I had to ask the question, um, is this all there is because of some health issues that I went through? And I know some people who listen to the Bottom Line Show are shocked to find out that I actually went through them. So that's why I'd like to devote the next segment to that and what God showed me about the importance of this ministry and the role that you play in that exchange as well. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this special uh, retrospective edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We didn't put together any fancy clips or anything like that. There's no one calling in today saying, hey, congratulations. Yeah, that's not the way this program works. Even on our program anniversary day, which is September 19th, we don't do that. But today is a special day for yours truly because it was 40 years ago today that my broadcasting career began. And I'm pleased you know one of the things that uh, my my dad said don't do it son it's too unpredictable you can't raise a family on the you'll never be able to do it i'm very proud of the fact that god saw fit even when some of the work didn't pay a whole lot but i've been gainfully employed in the broadcast industry for all but three weeks of the 40 years it's incredible my first job at kiqo in central california atascadero near san luis obispo uh, it lasted about nine months, and when it ended, they changed formats and went automated, and, you know, that's, that's radio. I moved back home to Orange County to be with my parents, and the first week I was home, I just got, my body was so worn out, I just got really, really sick. So I wasn't, I, even if I was working, I wasn't working. The next week, Easter had come and gone, it was the spring, and I got a chance to get out my old Smith Corona electric typewriter and start sending out some cover letters. And I sent one to Pat Michaels at K what, KWRM in Corona, AM 1370, which had an FM that was looking for someone. And Pat called and said, hey, um, actually he had Danny Gilchrist, his ops manager call and say, hey, Pat told me to call you and have you come out and see if you'd be interested in doing some fill-in work. And so uh, the following week I went out and got all that squared away and I was on the payroll the week after that. So, I mean, there was a three week period where I was not getting a check from somebody, but it's really strange in this industry. There are a lot of people who get into broadcasting and they do it for a while and then they kind of coast on the fumes afterwards. I have been fortunate and I've had the privilege, I mean, absolute privilege of working with some wonderful people. I've worked for all the major Christian broadcasters. And of course, my longest stint has been here with Crawford Broadcasting and from Donald Crawford Sr., Don Crawford Jr., Mike Treem, uh, all the guys, and of course, the guys we host the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with that you'll hear coming up at the top of the hour. Bob Duco, who was very instrumental in helping get the Bottom Line show off the ground. Uh, Bob gave us some great sage wisdom and counsel when we first started this program. And then John Rush, our Denver affiliate, Rush to Reason, KLZ, and Neil Boron, who uh, Neil and I have a great affinity for each other's work with our shared interest in news and reporting and uh, passion for uh pastoral ministry as well. Neil's way better versed at it than I am. Um, but 
I'm taller, so I guess that's just going to work. I don't know why. I think we kind of sound alike on the air, but Neil was telling me there's a huge discrepancy in our height. Anyway, um, nonetheless, uh, but the, there was this time, though. There was a period in my life where in uh, January of 2017, I had been at the gym and I wasn't feeling great. And I came home from, I, I decided not to go to the Saturday night service that evening instead. I had some pain in my lower back and I started to get the shivers and I, uh, my sister and I were sharing a condo at the time. I'd gone through a divorce and was kind of in transition mode. And she's a nurse and she was at work and I came home and I literally went to bed early and I was bundled up with stuff. I was shaking like crazy. And Linda came home, saw me shaking, said, you got a fever, I'm calling an ambulance. And the next thing you know, I was at OC Global Medical Center with two IVs and three different uh, cocktails going through my system. I had sepsis and I spent about five days in the hospital fighting for my life. And they took some x-rays. They thought I had a blood clot in my lungs. My uh, uh, oxygenation level, which is supposed to be 95 or 96, was 81. Uh, the doctor who came in to see me said, hey, you know, if, if I were just to look at your chart and not to look at you, I would say you were a 90-year-old man and we should be calling in the family. But God delivered me uh, through Dennis Wilson and uh, Jeff Houston. Dennis is, uh, of course, Wilson Financial, our primary sponsor. He's become a dear friend over the years. Dennis and Jeff and I were supposed to record that Monday. I went to the hospital on Sunday. And when Jeff flew into town, instead of going to KBRT, they went to the hospital and they just, they read scripture over me. And they laid hands on me and they prayed for me and my health began to turn the minute these guys brought the spirit of the Lord in. But I wasn't out of the woods yet because they had x-rays taken on my chest to look for a blood clot. They thought that was in my lungs that was keeping me from getting oxygen. And the hospital never sent it to my primary care physician. And so my physician, the late Dr. John Chang, who I've talked about before here on the program, uh, who heroically gave his life to save the lives of dozens of people at a Taiwanese Presbyterian church when a gunman came in and tried to shoot up their event. Dr. Chang looked at my x-rays when he finally got them because I'd had just a lot of fatigue and, and some issues of fainting during that summer. He took a look at my x-rays and said, you need to see a cardiologist and a pulmonologist right away. I'm referring these two people, go see them. Um, you've got an issue. And that was after uh, I failed a physical for a, a CD alternative with Wilson Financial and tests at the Wilson office called me and said, hey, you know, as a friend, you really go, should go see your doctor. So I saw Dr. Chang put the wheels in motion and six months later, I was having open heart surgery to repair my, um, the ascending aortic uh, part of my, you know, the, the, the descending part of your aorta is called the widowmaker. If there's a blockage there, you're, it's usually fatal. I had an aneurysm that was at four millimeters uh, in the ascending part. If it had gotten to five, it could have burst. If it did burst, it's called an aortic, it's called an aortic dissection. And typically there's an 80% chance you'll not survive that. You'll have a stroke, it bleed out, it's just awful. So fortunately they caught that in time, but the aortic valve, the bicuspid aortic valve that I have, um, where the blood flows back into the body, that's supposed to be a tricuspid valve. The bicuspid ones wear out sooner. And it turns out my dad has the same condition. My brother does not. Dad's valve lasted till he was 85. He had surgery three months after me, but I was 56 and mine could have been one of those situations where if this had gone unchecked, I might have sat down one night, felt, felt very sleepy and never recovered. And so on March the 12th, 2018, five days before my producer, Tamara Camiro, uh, got married, <laughs> I was supposed to perform the ceremony. Pastor Roger was in the hospital with uh, four steel rods in his uh, a sternum holding his ribcage together. They're still there and a nine inch scar on my chest. And I'm very, very grateful that God allowed me to go through that. I learned a lot about life. I learned a lot about people and how they really feel about you and about things and about God. Uh, my faith got really real. I, I've had many bottom line listeners who said over the past, well, let's see, five years, five and a half years of the program that I'm a lot more evangelistic than a Lutheran pastor should be because time is of the essence. And it's not just because I had a near-death experience, but because you could see, I mean, it's plain as day what's happening in the world right now. But in the month, I was probably one month post-operative when I met the woman who's now my wife. Um, I've been blessed with numerous grandchildren. Um, I've seen so many things happen in the family that I realized that when my grandfather, my mom's dad, who died a year before I was born, 
he had cancer and they didn't have the way to treat colorectal cancer then the way they do now. And he passed away at age 56 or 57, I believe. And I was the same age when I had my affliction. And I remember praying one night and I said, God, what is it? Every other generation, you grab the guys or one of the guys <laughs> at this age. Is this is how this is supposed to be? I don't want to be so much like my granddaddy that, uh, that I wind up having a similar fate. But your prayers were major. Prayers from bottom line listeners, from congregations literally all over the world praying for a speedy recovery. I should not have recovered as quickly as I did. As a matter of fact, I wound up having a couple of false starts in recovery simply because things looked so well, the doctor said, well, you should be able to handle this and you should be able to handle that. And I wasn't quite there. But it's amazing when you have an experience like this, and if you've been through this, you know what I'm talking about, how the things of life will go strangely dim and the things of eternity become much more clearer and in focus. I'm going to take a quick break here, and as we continue, conclude wrapping up this 40-year uh, reflection of my broadcast career and being able to share time with you every day here on the Bottom Line Show, I want to uh, exhort you, if you will, from God's Word and from some personal experience that I think can be a benefit to you. So let's take a quick break, and we'll come back in just a moment as the Bottom Line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. Welcome back to this special retrospective edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. It's been fun taking a look at some of the hits and misses of 1983. Um, that was the July 6th, 1983. Roger Marsh clicked on the microphone for the first time at KIQO in Atascadero, California. And I was a DJ and I was timid. <laughs> I thought, no one's listening to me. And you know the good news? They weren't. I mean... In the middle of the night in a teeny tiny market that didn't even get raided by Arbitron, where the only people listening basically were people who had radios at the Atascadero uh, Mental Hospital or the Atascadero Men's Colony, the prison that was out there. Those are your two big industries there at the time. I'm sure it's a lot different today. But it's been wonderful and glory to God for the opportunity to do the things that I've been allowed to do, to program contemporary Christian music, to a large market of people, second largest market in the country, to have the ability to manage a couple of stations and, and help them stay profitable. And I'm thrilled to say that one of them in particular is still thriving. They're actually our chief competition in San Diego now. Gives me great joy to know we go head to head. Um, but also the, the opportunities in publishing and, and television and some on-camera work at his channel and got to publish a book. I mean, it's just, been, it's just ridiculous. But when I was getting ready for open heart surgery, I remember thinking, okay, there's, you're going to be intubated. There's a possibility. This happened to a dear friend of mine who used to contribute to the Bottom Line show who can't anymore because he can write, but the tube damage was so bad during he had back surgery that it, it ruined his vocal cords. And I thought to myself, Lord, if this is going to be it, what's the deal? And God just pulled back the curtain and said, take a look at your career. Look at the people you've gotten to work with. Look at the people you've gotten to meet. Look at the lives that you've been able to interact with. Look at the opportunities you've had to share the gospel. If you don't ever do this again, you've had an amazing career. And I couldn't argue with him because he's right. But that was five and a half years ago. And I'm still here. And this is my encouragement to you. As I know our audience is getting a little older, we have one of the most active 70, 80s, and 90s-year-olds listening to this program and interacting. Uh, remember, 
life is not a cakewalk, but it certainly is a game of musical chairs when it comes to when the time is done. You have the opportunity to make the most of every opportunity, because why? Like Paul says in Ephesians 5, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Live as imitators of Christ. Don't get drunk with wine. Drink a little if you need to, but don't get drunk with it. But basically instead, be intoxicated, if you will, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Encourage your brothers and sisters. One of the things that breaks my heart, absolutely breaks my heart, is to see people in different denominations explaining why their denomination is the best. Well, the Protestants don't do this because we Catholics are the church, or uh, we uh, evangelicals are better than the Catholics. Guys, life's too short. And seriously, this life is but a blip. My closest and dearest friend in the broadcast world, Austin Hill, died on November 13th, 2015. He had a similar health experience to mine. He wound up having a, an aneurysm. One night after dinner, he went upstairs, sat in his barca lounger, and was home with the Lord. I know that could have been my story too. And yet, I'm still here. Why? I remember talking to Todd Stickler, our operations manager, about the surgery. And I said, you know, I kind of almost feel like some survivor guilt. I mean, if, if this were a different time, I wouldn't have the surgery and I would just go my way and I don't, I don't want to get in God's way. I mean, what if God wanted to be home at 58 and, um, or excuse me, at 56, and I'm still here. And God, Todd said, well, isn't it cool that when you were born, God knew that you were going to be in this situation at this time and there would be the technology to repair your heart so you could tell your story and your testimony. Todd's been with the Bottom Line show since day one, and I'm very grateful for his friendship and his influence. Tamara Quimiro is in her ninth year producing this program, and she is second to none. And to Tim Mott and to Franny Carrillo and Rob Newton, who also produced this show, uh, and also to Dave Householder, who was a part of it for the first year and a half. But to you, as Bottom Line show listeners, I am eternally grateful. Twelve years here at Crawford Broadcasting, nearly tw more than 25% of my broadcast career has been spent here in front of this microphone, spending time with you each and every weekday, talking about the kingdom, talking about how we can encourage each other on to do good works. Don't let up. It isn't about how militant we are, how many boycotts that we engineer. What we do or don't buy is not as important as how we treat other people and let them see the love of Christ playing out in our lives. The days are evil. You heard my conversation with uh, Rick Pearson of Prophecy USA a couple of weeks ago. November 3rd, 2020 was more than just a quote-unquote rigged election. It was a turning point in world history as America started to take her rightful place, unfortunately, as the new Babylon. And God's wrath, instead of her holding up the cup of blessing and receiving it from God, America chose judgment. And that's what we're experiencing. All the more reason for us to have an urgency to share the gospel with our friends, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and to run the race in such a way that we train ourselves so that when we cross the finish line, we're not disqualified. We have our reward in full. Thank you for being a part of the Bottom Line Show for all of these years, and thank you for allowing me to reflect on 40 years in the ministry, to 40 more if the Lord tarries. And may that be an encouragement to you in the line of work that God has called you to do. Do it with excellence, do it with enthusiasm, and do it as, treat it like the gift from God it truly is. That is good news, and that's the bottom line. National Crawford Roundtable coming up next. Stay with us. It's going to be a good one here on The Bottom Line Show today.